Episode 137, Daniel H. Pink, author of the new book, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. Favorite is, I mean, I love the title of that because it forces you to think about it in a, in a different way. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Dan and how to order his new book, check out the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 137. And now, on with the show. And I'm really excited today to have as our guest, Dan Pink. He is a New York Times bestselling author. Um, I had a chance to interview Dan back in 2010 uh, in a different podcast series about his book, Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. And he has a new book. We're going to talk about that and other things today. So before I tell you more, Dan, first off, thank you for being here today. How are you? Mark, always a pleasure. I'm I'm really thrilled and and congratulations in advance uh, with the book. Uh, The title is, I believe this is the seventh book, the most recent that was released on February 1st, is The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. That seems like a perfect topic to explore on the podcast. Now, you you made a face. Did I get the number wrong? Is it seven books? No, no, you're totally right. No, you're totally right. You're totally right. I just know that that you're going to ask me about my favorite mistake and I'm cringing in advance. (laughs) Well, it's maybe an easier question than what's your favorite book or, you know, that's that's a version of what's your favorite child. We won't go into that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Dan has uh, many books um, and they've won one. He's going to be embarrassed by this, but they've won multiple awards, have been translated into get this 42 languages and have sold millions of copies around the world. So you can learn more about his uh, work and, and those other books at danpink.com. And, and Dan's had a, a really varied career. Um, you were a speechwriter for Al Gore when he was vice president, correct? Yes, long time ago. Yeah, so Dan's uh, done a lot of interesting things in his career, including that. So with that, Dan, what would you say, looking back at your career, has been your favorite mistake? Well, yeah, I mean, favorite is, a, I mean, I love the title of that because it forces you to think about it in a, in a different way. And, and as I thought about this, uh, Mark, I think that my favorite mistake, because I, I think I've learned something, I think I learned a lot from it, obviously, is that career mistake is that I never, ever sought or cultivated or found or, or a mentor. I've gone through, you know, I'm in my 50s now, and I've never really had anybody in my life who was a mentor. And I realized that was a mistake. And I realized the mistake isn't, I realized that at least the cause of that is not some cold and callous world out there, but that A, I didn't know how important that was. And B, I actually think that I, a reason that I didn't know how important it was is that I was too arrogant to realize that I needed it. And so, uh, so the advice that I give to my kids is different because of that. And the, the way that I treat people who are coming up in the writing world 
changes has changed because of that. So, I mean, at what point did you realize then that this was a mistake? This is one of these things where was there a certain epiphany? Was it sort of a gradual recognition of the value of mentoring and how it would have helped? Yeah, you know what? I don't really have epiphanies. I, you know, I I think these things occur. I think these things occur slowly. I think what I realized was that at certain points in my life, people were, people had figured out various um, things like, how do you get a job? How do you get a job? Or how do you get a job working in politics? Or how do you get articles published if you have something to say? Or, um, uh, how do you go and find, uh, you know, if you want to write a book, like, how do you, how do you go do that? And, and I, and I realized that I was, I didn't have a, that, and, and, and when I looked at other people, I first assumed that they somehow had figured it out themselves when in fact, what they were doing, they had a GPS, you know, <laughs> the GPS was another person who was helping them. The GPS was someone who was saying, Hey, here's what the road looks like. There's a sharp turn over there watch out for that pitfall over there. And I was like, I was just like, Hey, let's get in the car and go. Um, and it ended up being really, it ended up being really foolish. And, and, and again, I think what's important here, you know, with, with mistakes is that it's our fault. That is, I'm not saying, Oh, I'm so disappointed that this didn't happen to me. It, it really was. It's like, wow. I should have known that. And also, I just I should have been more humble about what I didn't know and done a better job of seeking help and counsel and guidance. Well, when you talk about that being your decision, I mean, it's interesting. It, it, a lot of companies will propose, hey, you're a young employee. Do you want to have a mentor? Um, colleges, we're both graduates of Northwestern University. Um, Northwestern Indeed. has an alumni mentoring program. So, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know if we can put all that responsibility on your shoulders. At some point, it seems like somebody should introduce the idea of mentoring to, to younger people. And then if that's rejected, that's, yeah, I guess that's a different dynamic. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I really think that if I had, I mean, I, I truly wasn't offered it. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm not, you know, I'm a, I'm a straight white man born in America. It's not as if the people who were in positions to quote unquote mentor me didn't look like me, um, that I was somehow excluded from that circle. And so, and, and so that's, so that, you know, so that, I think that's part of it. I also think, and again, I'm not sure this is accurate, but I, I, I actually, I think it, my guess is that it's accurate is that if I had been offered it, I might have rejected it. I would have said, "Oh, that's for weaklings. That's not anything I need. What's is stupid?" I, I really think that I, I wasn't. My mind wasn't open to that. And and I, and and deeper down, at this mistake is the mistake of not knowing what you don't know. As cliche as that might sound, and not being open enough, and not being humble enough. So this makes me think, I mean, I, I was fortunate to have mentors, whether they formally had that label or not, early, yeah. earlier in my career. As I'm in my late 40s, I step back and think of like, well, do should I, I would probably benefit from a mentor today. I, I don't have everything figured out. Um, you still have a lot of work ahead of you. I mean, do you, do you think at this point, is there somebody that could be a mentor to you? Is that something you would seek out now? 
That's a really good question. And, and at some level, I have said, I, I've sort of, not, I don't want to say made peace with it, but what I've tried to do is I've tried to take pieces from people who I know and have worked with and who respect and have, have respect. So it's not so much a singular person who is serving as a, as a, as a navigator uh, for me. Uh, it's more getting direction from the experiences and, and advice of others. Now, that said, I have reached out to, you know, as part of my humility, I have reached out to people, not to say, can you be my mentor or anything like that? But, but I have, I can think of three people. I don't want to say, I don't want to say their names, but I can think of three people whom I've reached out to recently, literally in the last year where I said, who are older than I. And I said, you know, I feel like I'm following a path that's somewhat similar to yours. What, when you were where I am, kind of in the middle, where is where I am right now, when you were in, when you were in the middle, like what mistakes did you make? What do you wish you could do over again? What do you wish you had known? And, and so, I, so I, I've, I've taken a few baby steps in that direction. Well, and I bet you're working toward, you know, knowing the, the type of work and the writing and the patterns that you find, you'll, you'll, you'll help the rest of us figure out like, what's the most effective way to reach out to somebody with those. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and, and I think there's, I think there's a bigger point here, you know, I mean, that, that there, we mentioned companies, Mark, I think that we tend to, the, the way we think of mentoring inside of organizations is that. Older people mentor younger people, and that and that people say my age in my fifties don't need mentors, and I think that's a mistake. I think there's a, there's plenty of space for some kind of mid career mentoring, and and even the whole idea that a mentor has to be someone older than you might be wrong. That is, I right. can see a situation where someone who's thirty could mentor me in something that she knows. Now it's kind of ridiculous, you know. So, but but that said, I'm like 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 where am where am where I am in my life where I'm like, you know, I'm a professional. I'm I'm gonna be fine. You know, the idea that I need to reach out to some kind of mentor seems a little bit foolish. That said, I am seeking advice, um, and I am trying to get it piecemeal from different kinds of people and their experiences. So yeah, not not yeah. A mentor is a different depth of relationship yeah. with somebody, even if it doesn't have that official label. Right. We're gonna go and find a certified mentor. I don't know if that's even <laughs> a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing that we need is we need we need some kind of professional body to certify entry into the mentoring profession. So Dan's the latest book again, and and w- w- there's a transition here to, to compare mistakes and regrets. Maybe his book is the power of regret how looking backward moves us forward. I mean, that, that's what guests have done on this podcast, on my favorite mistake, looking backward, reflecting on a mistake and how that was a learning opportunity and how it moved them forward. Um, with, with your favorite mistake, one other question about this. I mean, how, how, would you label it a regret? Or maybe there's, there's also a question of here, what's the difference between a mistake and a regret? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure. The, I think that the, the difference is is that regret is a is an emotion and mistake is an act, yeah. um, and it could be that regret built into regret is some kind of mistake that you've made, and built into this emotion of regret, this that this stomach churning feeling that if things would be better, if only I hadn't 
acted so stupidly or made a bad decision or screwed up in that way. Uh, um, at that, it's a, it, that, that emotion requires mistake and, and the emotion of regret requires agency, which I think is true for mistake. Because you, your, your, your question is not what you, your question is not what's the worst thing that ever happened to you. Your question is what's your biggest, what's your favorite mistake? And so I, I think the mistake, a mistake is in some ways embedded in a lot of regret. Like, for instance, like I was saying before, there's a difference between the thing about emotions. Okay, a Mistake is really an act, right? Sure. It's something you did. And regret is something that you feel. It's a process that your brain and your goes through to, to, to understand. And it's giving you a signal about what matters in the world. Um, you know, and, and when we think about regret, there's a difference between regret and disappointment, you know, because disappointment doesn't have agency to it. So, for instance, I'm a, okay, here we go. You and I might be disappointed that Northwestern's football team had a terrible season this, this year. We might yeah. be, I am disappointed in that, yes. but we can't regret that because we didn't play. We didn't coach. It's not our fault. I mean, I could regret not figuring out a way to do a fifth fall at Northwestern. So I could have marched at the Rose bowl, um, uh, but I don't regret figuring out how to go as a fan. That right. fall. Right. Right. So, right. I mean, exactly, but yeah, exactly. there, there are regrets that so that emotion and, and that is I mean, you found in the research that you've done for the book. I mean, that isn't that that's a standard human emotion that that we all feel and we all experience. It is an incredibly it, it is it is one of our most common emotions of any kind. And it is our most common negative emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the lessons of this research into regret is that we sometimes don't treat negative emotions properly. We, we get a negative emotion and we, we sort of over-index on positivity and say, oh, no, no, I want to think positive. It's all about positivity. Um, and, and that's a bad idea. Uh, on the, but the same token, we don't want to take negative emotions as the only truth and wallow in them. And what you have to do mm-hmm. is you have to approach these regrets in a systematic way. Um, and... And I think that's I think that's really important. There's a there's a triangulation here where we have some people who go around saying no regrets. I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets. All right, that is insane. I mean, the people. I mean, there are people without regrets. Five year olds have no regrets because their brains haven't developed. Uh, people with with certain kinds of brain damage have no regrets because their brains are literally injured. Because <laughs> so um, and and so we don't want this 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 philosophy. We don't want to get seduced by this sort of appealing philosophy of no regrets, because uh, that leads to delusion. But we don't want to we don't want to wallow in our regrets either. We want to use them as signals signals to get better. And and I think that's one of the themes that we explore here on the podcast of reflecting on a mistake without beating ourselves up, like thinking about yeah. it without, as you said, wallowing in it. So. Um, you know, I think it, it. I mean, there are common regrets, and and you know, the book lays out four common regrets. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what's one of those four? Maybe it's just a yeah. teaser of the, the book. Let me let me take it. Let me take a step back and tell you how I got there because I think it okay. might be. I think it might be instructive. So there's a lot of research on regret um, uh, in the academic world. Uh, very very good stuff and very very interesting. And when they've asked the question, "What do people regret?" They've typically looked at the domains of life. So you say, oh, I didn't save enough money. Okay, that's a financial regret. Um, I didn't, um, you know, there's a career, a financial regret or a career regret, an education regret or a romance regret or a family regret or a health regret or something like that. It makes perfect sense. 
And what I found when I looked at that research was, and, and I did a piece of quantitative research on my own to try to get at that question, what I and, and ask people to put it in these categories. What I found is that there wasn't much guidance there. It was kind of all over the place. And then I realized there was something else going on because I did another piece of research where I collected 16,000 regrets from people all over the world, a qualitative piece of research. And I started looking at those and I realized this. Get, let me give you an example. I, let me actually answer your question. Let me give you one of them. All right. Let okay. me tell you what I mean by this. Yeah. So I have people in my data, in this database of 16,000 regrets, a lot, literally hundreds, who regret being at a point in their life finding someone who they were romantically attracted to, wanting to say, ask that person out on a date and not doing it and regretting it 10, 20, 30 years later. Okay. I also have people who regret, huge numbers of people who regret not starting a business. Mm -hmm. I stayed in this lackluster job and I didn't start a business. Okay. That's a career regret. The, the first one is a romance regret. Let me give you another one. Let's go back to let's go back to the college domain here for a mm -hmm. second. I'm telling you, I'm going to give this to your to your listeners for free. There is a business to be started that is a travel agency that serves people who went to college and regret not having studied abroad. Okay, <laughs> so that's an education regret, right? Mm -hmm. But to me, deep down, those are all the same regret. They're regrets about not taking a chance. They're people who look back and say, if only I take in that chance. And it doesn't so much matter what the domain of life is, the regret is about the chance itself. And so a big category in these deep structure of regret are boldness regrets. People, and I think what it reveals is that there's a fundamental human need to learn and grow and experience and lead a psychologically rich life. And when we're at a juncture in our lives where we can play it safe or take a chance, we're much more likely to regret playing it safe. Um, and it's almost, and, and it's not even so much a privileged position there. It's, it, it seems to be irrespective of our status mm -hmm. in life. So how, I'm trying to think then, so is that easier said than done? Like taking in that, that fact and that knowledge and how, trying to think then, how do I translate that or remind myself or do I print it on a coffee mug or you know, yeah. thinking of, of the things I'm going to regret in the future, the, well, the future inactions? Okay. Sure, um, sure, sure, sure. So, so, um, so, so that's actually a really, really interesting point about how do we anticipate our future regrets. And the thing is, is that that's a little bit tricky because when we, we, can, we, when we anticipate our regrets – we can actually make better decisions and lead happier lives, but we have to do it right. So you don't want to anticipate every regret. What car should I buy? Will I regret having a blue one or a green one or a yellow? You know, uh, what shirt should I wear today? Oh my God! Will I regret? You know, that, what you want to do is you want to focus on these four core regrets because these four core regrets to my mind, operate as a photographic negative of the good life. Because if we understand what people regret the most, we understand what they value the most. So when you are making decisions prospectively, you know, if you're, if you, if you're at a juncture where it's a choice between playing it safe and taking a sensible chance, I truly want to recommend that you take a sensible chance. Uh, and that that's a really important domain in which to uh, anticipate your regrets. What color you should paint your house? What kind of car you have? what you wear, what you're going to have for dinner, whether you're going to walk this way to work or that way to work. 
those those kind and we have and and the, and the other part of this and you know this research mark but but there's a, there's we make huge numbers of decisions in a day huge and there's a lot of research on what's called satisfying and maximizing mm-hmm. you know do we want to maximize every decision and the answer is no we don't <laughs> there's yeah. research showing that people who are maximizers try to get the most out of every decision are miserable we want to satisfy on certain things, and so that's true with our regrets. We want to anticipate. We want to anticipate the core regrets of that, that reveal fundamental human needs, but we want to satisfy on everything else. So, is there a component of of age? Somebody who's younger, mm. by definition, probably doesn't have as many regrets because they haven't lived as much yet. Um, there's, there's, I'm going to sound old and saying this of like the young people and their, their talk of FOMO fear uh-huh. of missing out is a regret. Um, is there something you find in the research generationally or based on age, certain generations that have more fear of missing out or, uh, more, more potential regrets? I don't know. It's a great question. It's a great question because in the you know, in, in, in crunching the numbers and the quantitative part of the research, uh, I found rather little difference by, uh, demog- by demographics. Mm-hmm. Um, the one area, though, where I found some difference is age. Mm-hmm. And what it showed was that at age 20, we tend to have about the same number of action and inaction regrets. Action regret. I regret something I did. Inaction regret. I regret something I didn't do. But as we age, those inaction regrets pile up. They pile up. And the reason the reason for that is that in some ways, action regrets can be more intense. So something like um, uh, I, I regret uh, I've heard, heard so many. Sto- I have so many people who regret bullying kids in school. Mm-hmm. But and I also have heard of many stories that of people who bully kids in schools t- 10 years later, 20 years later, felt terrible about that and found the person they bullied and apologized to try to undo mm-hmm. that. So certain kinds of action regrets we can undo. The, the same thing with, with certain kinds of action regrets is that we can actually um, we can do what, what I call at leasting them. That is, we can we can we can find the silver lining. And again, looking at this incredible trove of regrets, I have, again, so many regrets where people say, it's almost all women. I'm truly, almost all women have this regret. I'm not, mm-hmm. not almost, not all women have this regret, but the number of the people who have this regret are all women. Yeah. Is, oh, I so regret marrying that idiot, but mm-hmm. at least I have these two great kids. So they look for the silver <laughs> lining in, in that. For inaction yeah, regrets, yeah. they're less intense. You can't undo them. You can't at least them. And so they linger, they stick, they gnaw. So that sounds like, um, you know, there've been times where someone will ask me for an example of uh, what, what, what's your favorite mistake? And I don't know, one, not to sound flippant, you know, I mean it. Like I took one job coming out of grad school where that wasn't the right job for me long-term, but at least I met my wife working there. So there was a silver lining. Of, right, uh, yes. but, that's, yeah. but that's okay. But that's okay. But it's not really yeah, a regret. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I would that's, say that that was a mistake in taking that job, but I certainly don't regret it because of the at least and the positive. Right. Right. So what you've done is you've taken that. So so it's an action mm-hmm. regret. I did this, but I'm going to sort of take the sting out of it um, because I got this great at least out of it. And so, but with inaction regrets, 
they linger. That's the thing. And so inaction. And, and so what you see both in my research and in the academic research is that inaction regrets outnumber action regrets. But there is an age difference there. So you talk about things where, where people try to fix an action regret. Um, inaction yeah. regrets. I mean, I can see where that sticks with you, where I can think of without going into details. Um, something I think about fairly often where I was at a party, uh, maybe just before the pandemic. And somebody made a comment that I thought was just really inappropriate, not toward me, but toward a group of people. And mm-hmm. I froze. Like I was just so dumbfounded to hear what was, it was, it was a homophobic comment, like blatantly so. And it was from an older person and that, that doesn't mm-hmm. make it okay. But mm-hmm. um, I, I froze and I, and I, I regret not being quick enough on my feet to know what or how to say to address that. So I, I think in, in thinking about that regret, I'd like to think I'm better prepared for, gosh, you know, if that happens again in the future. Um, I don't know. Is there anything from your research about dealing with an inaction regret like that? Because I feel bad for not standing up. Okay. It's such a, okay. First off, Mark, you are not alone. There are so many regrets out there of people who say, I wish I had spoken up. I wish I had said something. I, I could go into, uh, forgive me for being so like, like literal about this like database of regrets, but literally I can go into this database and search for the phrase spoken up and we'll have bing, 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 bing. So many of those, which I think is something about it's it's partly about uh, it's it's partly a boldness regret. Sometimes it's a moral regret too. We can talk about those in a second here too. So, but I think the real question is, what do you do with that? Okay, what do you do with that? And there's some very good research on this question. So, one thing that is that is very clear is that talking about the regret, disclosing the regret, is very mm. helpful. Okay. We, we and and uh, uh, there's a lot of research showing that that and there are all kinds of interesting reasons for that. So one of them is that it lifts the burden. But one way it lifts the burden is that it takes something that is a little bit amorphous in our heads and converts it into words. And 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 that aids in the sense making because the words are less fearsome than these amorphous thoughts. So even writing about it is can defang that. So one thing that you should do is that you is that you can you you is actually to reveal it to to reveal it and disclose it. Now one reason that we're loath to disclose sometimes we're we're un, we're we're um we're uncomfortable uh, talking about our vulnerabilities is that we think people will think less of us as a consequence. And what the evidence shows is that is wrong. People think more of us. They admire our candor. They they empathize with us. They admire our courage. And so, even like like your regret there that you just disclosed, Mark. My hunch is that most 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 um, listeners are not going to say, "Oh, you're such a wimp. What's wrong with you?" You're going to say, "God, you know what? I empathize with that. I like I admire like you thought that." And okay, so 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 disclosure is one thing. Another a- aspect of it is is something called um, is something called um, self compassion. Which sounds a little touchy feely, uh, but you know you can take a regret like that and you can say, "It's a, oh, what I did that, but that's okay. I'm awesome. I'm the greatest." Okay, you can boost your self esteem, or you can say, "I'm the worst person in the world." Okay, you can be, be self critical, 
what self-compassion, and this is the work of Kristen Neff at Texas, what self-compassion says is that, okay, here's what you have to say. It, would you beat up a friend for doing that? No. Would you, um, do you think you're the only person who has this kind of regret? No. Do you think that all kinds of people have in the, in the world, in the history of the world have, you know, wish they had spoken up? Yeah. Of course they have. So what you do is you normalize it and mm-hmm. neutralize it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, that you disclose it. And then finally what you do, which is really interesting is that is, is you want to, you want to extract a lesson from it. And one way to extract a lesson from it is what's called self-distancing. So self-distancing is where is rooted in the idea that we're much better at solving other people's mm-hmm. problems than our own. And so what we want to do is get some distance from that regret. So, so things that you can do is like, you know, if you had, a, if you, confronted this, what would you tell your best friend to do uh, with this regret? Um, if you had younger people in your life, kids or mentees or something like that, what lesson would you, what would it yield for, what lesson would it yield for them? And, and, and so this process where you actually treat your, you don't, you don't boost your self-esteem and you don't rip yourself apart. You disclose it to make sense of it. And then you distance yourself from it to extract a lesson. That's how you deal with it. And and that process is extremely healthy. That's how we make sense of our regrets, and that's how we use them to move forward. Yeah, I think talking about it, and then, you know, I think you know, people have come on this podcast, and for one, being prompted to think about uh, a favorite mistake, um, you know, prompts them to tell that story. And uh, yeah, we we hope there's some comfort or or healing that comes with that. But you know, I've got a, a coffee mug I've been sipping on with the podcast logo here. And uh, a friend of mine, Karen Ross, who was a guest on the show, um, kind of helped me develop some mantras that are printed on the backside of the mug. And it sounds like this idea of self-compassion or self-care and those those questions you were asking. So it says here on the coffee mug, and I use these as reminders for myself, be kind to yourself. Nobody's perfect. We Mm -hmm. all make mistakes. The Mm -hmm. important thing is continuing Mm -hmm. to learn from our mistakes. There's a little bit, there's a lot of self-compassion in those statements that Karen helped me put on that. Model. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the, absolutely. And, and the thing is, it's like, you know, it, it, and this is a, this is something that I, that I learned myself now. So if you look again, if you look at the research, the research on self-esteem, we need some self-esteem. There's no question about it, but it's oversold. All right. It, there's all kinds of evidence that it leads to uh, uh, people not trying very hard. It can lead to foster sort of in groups and out groups. It can lead to, kind of insidious forms of social comparison, et cetera, et cetera. Self-criticism seems logical, right? There's very little evidence. There's actually no evidence that it's effective. It's just kind of, it's, it's sort of virtue signaling to yourself. The better approach is to treat yourself. As, I mean, this sounds a little like, it sounds a little Stuart Smalley, Jack Handy, but it's, it's what the science tells us is to treat yourself the way you treat a friend. And we wouldn't, Tell a friend, you, the way we, we talk to ourselves, you idiot, what do you do? We don't want to say that. Well, we would treat them with some compassion. And then when we do that to ourselves, it allows us to uh, disclose, which normalizes the regret and neutralizes it. And then we can take a step back and try to derive a lesson from it. And, you know, and, and again, this is not a, this is a process that should be, that should be normalized. It's something that we should just do as a routine part of our of, of healthy living. And what's happened though, is that we tend to banish the regrets to try to ignore them, or we don't know what to do. So they become debilitating. So that, yeah, I think being 
open about mistakes or regrets is, is really helpful. You talk about, you know, you shared earlier about how uh, revealing those or expressing those generally makes you more liked uh, than disliked. I think that's definitely true in workplaces. I think there's dynamics where, you know, when senior leaders in an organization admit mistakes and, and that cascades down downhill of creating a culture where people can speak up about mistakes so the company or the health system gets better. Um, I don't know if this is too dangerous a territory to wade into, but you know, I think of one group of people, <laughs> I think of uh, politicians, like there are clear, without naming names, there are politicians who should have regrets or probably do have regrets about actions or yeah. inactions. I, I wonder if there's any research if uh, politicians who express regrets, is that political suicide or is that harmful to their standing? I don't know whether there's any. I don't know whether there's any research on that. Um, what my 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 instinct would be, I don't know. Politics is different because it's such a hot housed environment. But my instinct would be that in a in a more normal, saner environment, um, back when I was working in politics, that that sort of thing would be actually welcome. That it would be humanizing. That it would it would be authentic. That that people would voters would respond to that. In this kind of environment, I'm not sure. Because if you were to admit some kind of regret, you know, it would be it, it would be turned into a meme and put on social media and on cable television and then you'd be doxxed and it's just it's just a mess. But that says more about the the current political climate than it does about <laughs> the values of disclosing regrets, offering some compassion to yourself and then off, distancing yourself from them yeah. to extract to extract a it's lesson. funny you would think back to those like 30 25 30 years ago that those were those were kinder gentler times in politics so it probably didn't seem like it at the time <laughs> listen when i was working i mean you joke but i mean i'm serious when i was working in politics I, one reason i got out uh, and stopped working in politics is like oh my god this is just not like this is this world is is um is somewhat cruel it is it is deeply unkind. There's a kind of brutality to it that uh, and coarseness to it that I just I used to admire, but I no longer now that I'm in the belly of the beast, I no longer admire. And I don't want to stay in an environment where I can might become like some of the people who I see. And I look back and like, oh, those were the good old days. <laughs> so there's no regret leaving political circles. No, no, that's that one. That one I don't have any. That one I don't have any regrets. Well, thanks, uh, Dan. Again, the the book, the most recent book, is the power of regret. How looking backward moves us forward. Um, one other question here: um, the the timing of of that research was a lot of that pre pandemic, and and if so, do you think the pandemic has caused people to think differently about regret? In fact, that that website, that survey, is still open. I mean, are you seeing different? Yeah, it's still it. Exactly. It's still it's still open. We're still getting regrets. And and um, and I did uh, do the research during the pandemic. I actually started I started the I started the research pre pandemic. I ended up doing the surveys during the pandemic. And what I found is that I, I don't think that the pandemic itself changed the substance of people's regrets. Uh, I think what it did, though, is that it might have made people more reflective than they would have been in other circumstances. So it, it, it so just through through dumb luck it might have been a good time to talk to people about this because their lives had slowed down a little bit and they might be in a in a slightly more reflective 
slightly more reflective mode. The, the, the times that the pandemics did come up in the in the in the conversations were in the or in the um, in the re- responses that people gave were things like um, my uncle died of COVID and and I never got a chance to say goodbye or uh, my my grandmother died of COVID and she had called me the day before and I was too busy and I didn't call her back that kind of thing and you know there there's a, a regret that. Unfortunately, too many people have had um, kind of leads to a question of do we learn from regrets expressed by others? The the story we see too many of these in the news of, you know, sadly, sort of the, the deathbed regret confessional of somebody saying, I regret not being vaccinated. Look what happened to me. Don't let this happen to you. Uh-huh. Yeah, Is that yeah. impactful toward yeah. those who might end up having that same regret? I don't know. My my guess would be that my guess would be that it that it uh, that it is. And one of the things that you see is that when you get to a point in your life where you can't do anything about the regret, one thing that people naturally do is they try to transmit that lesson to to other people. And so that could be a that could be a version of that could be a version. And, of and that. that comes back maybe to that self compassion or the the. Um, lifting the burden or, or some of the benefits that might soothe somebody while they're in the hospital and hopefully recovering, you know, after they express um, the regret, but um, yeah, hopefully it influences others and there are fewer regrets like that. But um, that survey, uh, worldregretsurvey.com. Um, I, I played around with that website. I recommend people go there and you can click through state by state to see what people are yeah, putting in. Yeah. And just see like the most recent, the most recent eight regrets that were contributed from Louisiana or from uh, and other countries too. We have we have we have submissions from 105 wow. countries. And, and, and you can click through. Uh, at least when I looked the other day, Georgia and New Hampshire didn't have any any entries. So I, I can't. What? Yeah, I maybe I, I don't think uh, live 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 oh free. I got to oh. check that out because I, I, that's. No, no, no. I think that's I think that's a okay. glitch on our or it may end. have been user error on my yeah. part, but I was wondering if New Hampshire's yeah. you know, slogan's now going to be live free without regret. But uh. no, I don't think so. Um no, I, I'm certain we have them from all 50. We have them from all 50 okay. states. Um I regret bringing that up because no, that could have been my fault. But you can well, no, <laughs> man, you, you can go look into that. But it is a really cool website too. I'll go to check it out. Yeah. Being able to click through by country or even by um, U.S. state and um, think about your your own regrets and and I look forward to the book um, re- reaching my desk. It was uh, released February first and um, going to dig in and, and see what else I can learn. Um, Dan learned a lot from you here today, so I really really appreciate you sharing um, and giving us a, a bit of a preview on the book. Well, Mark, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having sure. me. So again, you can go uh, to danpink.com. Uh, I really do recommend go through Dan's back catalog. Uh, the book Drive has been uh, incredibly impactful for me. And, and that's a book I hear people talk about and reference a lot. So go check that out. Learn about motivation. Um, 20 years ago now, I think, uh, Free Agent Nation. That was uh, a pretty pretty prescient <laughs> book. Does that, does that seem to hold up well? I read that a long time ago, and I've now been a free agent for a while. Yeah. Um, I, I think, going back to my political days, I think I was a little bit ahead of the voters on that one. But, um, you know, in in 2001, saying that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be self-employed and working at home. And people said I was nuts. 
ahead of the curve. So maybe likewise here uh, on uh, regret. So the power of regret, how looking backward moves us forward. Dan, Dan Pink's been our guest. Dan, thank you. Thank you again for being here. A pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again to Dan for being such a great guest today. If you want to go check out his new book available now, look for a link in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 137. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.